0: hello and welcome to the jazz jam podcast i'm your host dwayne gunnels joined by my co-host max levy on today's episode we're going to be getting into a newer album a much more modern um, style of jazz uh, a great group out of richmond virginia called butcher brown and the album that we're getting into is a live studio session entitled camden session so max how are you doing today
1: I'm doing well. It's uh, good to be here again with you. This is our eighth episode. We're on a roll. We're really knocking these out and, and exploring everything that, that is jazz, and there's a lot to get into with this, this short but very entertaining album.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm kind of glad we're starting to develop a, a catalog of different styles and different time periods in jazz, so this is definitely going to be one of the more modern styles of jazz that we're getting into and some different uh, influences on this one so but before we get into the album itself max i wanted to ask you our jazz question of the day and i just wanted to say to anyone out there who's listening if you have a question that you want to ask us or if you have any recommendations for albums our email is the jazz jam podcast at gmail.com feel free to to shoot us an email and ask us a question or anything like that, we'd be happy to address it on the pag- podcast. But uh, Max, my question for you today is, what are some non-jazz tunes that would work if you called them in a jazz setting?
1: That's a great question. Sometimes it is a good idea to call a non-jazz tune that people would recognize on a gig, You know, especially if, if it's a, a venue where you know that a lot of the audience is paying attention and is actually engaged with what you're doing. Sometimes it's cool to just switch it up and, and call something that's not in, in the kind of classic jazz repertoire. So something like that would be a tune like, like the tune Something from the Beatles. Um, you and I have covered that one, and that's kind of one that, that some jazz guys have done before. There's a lot that comes to mind. I like to do Isn't She Lovely from Stevie Wonder. That's, that's a very, you know easy crossover tune that's a 16-bar form that, that, you know, like a jazz trio or quartet could could very easily pull off. Um, Some other stuff that I've heard people cover is the song More Today Than Yesterday, which is kind of the classic rock uh, shuffle hit um, from a one-hit wonder group called Spiral Staircase. Um, So something like that, or or maybe a, a condensed version of a Chicago or blood, sweat and tears tune would also work. Um, I've also heard people cover the Aretha Franklin tune chain of fools and something like that. You know, it's just kind of like a C minor vamp, something you can stretch out on, but it's still, uh, it still has a great pocket and it's something that clearly a a jazz oriented group could cover. Um, is there anything that that comes to your mind that that would work in that that way.
0: Yeah, I think you make some really good points and one thing I want to say is that it's it can be really important to do this especially if you have an audience that's not maybe like jazz oriented if you're playing out somewhere and you might have a crowd that doesn't know much about jazz, it can be really cool to play a tune that they recognize. And do it in a jazz setting, in a jazz way, and they can familiarize themselves with the tune. And then they might be more interested in what you're doing throughout your set when you're calling standards. So I think this can be an important thing to do. And yeah, I, a lot of the things that you mentioned, I think some Beatles tunes are really cool. They're written really well. Yesterday is, um, there's a really famous recording of yesterday by Lee Morgan, which is really hip. And there's some other cool Beatles tunes as well that people would recognize and definitely lots of Stevie Wonder stuff. I mean, you mentioned, isn't she lovely, but you could do for once in my life, um, which is a cool tune and has cool changes. And Stevie just has some really cool changes that would be fun to play over. So Definitely things like that, and I think more modernly, um, some jazz guys are starting to get into doing more of some like hip-hop fusion stuff. You see Robert Glasper start to do some hip-hop covers and things like that, and he'll play with some, with most deaf sometimes, and they'll cover some MF Dude and tunes and things like that. So, yeah, just whatever you're interested in, you can, you could make it work in a jazz setting and you could familiarize the audience with jazz through in that way. So definitely, yeah, some of those tunes that we said and the Beatles is always a a classic way. Pretty much everyone knows the Beatles and the tunes are written pretty well. So I think that's, that's definitely a a good point you make there, Max.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, another one that comes to mind is, um, What we're getting at a little bit with this album, which is newer jazz artists, a lot of times, uh, I know you and I have talked about it, are kind of covering hip-hop tunes as well um, from the 90s or early 2000s that are recognizable. Uh, Is there any sort of particular example of that you have in your mind? I can't, I can't think of any, but yeah. there's plenty of that going on too.
0: There definitely are some really cool, um, some Outkast stuff gets covered. Equemini is a really cool tune and some friends of ours in a group called Coastal Collective. Um, some Wilmington jazz guys play uh, the tune Equemini by Outkast. And uh, there's a really cool version of the Kanye West tune, Flashing Lights, that Bad Bad Not Good. They do a lot of hip hop stuff, Bad Bad Not Good, and they Perform with some hip hop artists as well. They have a really cool cover of the the song "Flashing Lights" by Kanye West. So those are kind of two cool hip hop tunes that you could maybe cover. And then there's a lot of Jay Dilla stuff that's very jazz influenced that you could get into as well. And that's more of like the Robert Glasper kind of thing. Would be to to do some Jay Dilla
1: stuff. Very cool. Very cool. I know uh, my first mentor on the saxophone, local legend in Wilmington, Benny Hill. I think you, especially, and I think I have too, have heard him play. What's a rock tune? Smells spirit? like Teen Spirit. Smells like Teen yeah, Spirit. Yeah, <laughs> he kills it on
0: that, and it, it's that's just so cool. Um, the way that the way that he does that, definitely a shout out to to Benny Hill on that. I think he has Taylor Lee on the bass. He'll do it as a trio with just him and Taylor on the bass, and then a drummer, and it's really killing. Taylor definitely he'll play like chords on his bass and stuff, and really get into it. So. Yeah, that's a that's a really unique one to play in a, a jazz setting there, because that's like grunge rock, you know.
1: Absolutely. Also, another guy that that is kind of easily crossoverable is Van Morrison. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a lot of a lot of his stuff, his classic tunes are are kind of definitely something to go to if you want to add in a one or two pop songs, classic pop songs in your set list.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's get into. This album itself, and uh, there's not a whole lot of history to talk about with the album. It's fairly recent. Um, just want to go over, you know, where it was recorded and and um, when it was recorded. So, this was recorded in 2018, and it was recorded in uh, Mark Ronson's uh, Zelig Studio in London, England. And it's their seventh release, and they want more of a production approach um, with this record. And wanted this to be kind of a template for the the group to to build on. So and apparently according to Billboard, DJ Harrison, who's the keyboard player, was the leader on this session. And I think most typically in the group, uh, Marcus Tenney, also known as King Butch, is the, the leader of the group, but DJ Harrison kind of led this this recording, this session.
1: Yeah, there was a there were a couple of the cats, especially Marcus, was interviewed in that article for Billboard.com. And basically they were saying they just followed a lot of what DJ Harrison was telling them in terms of uh, arrangement or what to do with the groove or, or how to go about some of this music. So I, I put that on there because you would think that Marcus being the horn player on the gig would, or on the recording session would be more of that role. But in this instance, it's it's the keys player, and um, number one, he's a multi-instrumentalist, so he's great at, at all sorts of instruments. Um, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting to note. One thing I want to say is that you can have different guys lead this group in different situations, because I know typically it is Marcus that that's leads the group. And when I've seen them play live, it's Marcus calling tunes and kind of leading things. And Corey at times as well, will kind of lead the group. So I think it just speaks to their chemistry. And that's one thing that's going to be very notable on this album is the group's chemistry that anyone can lead the group and call tunes and something with us as well. Like at, when we're playing as a trio, any of us could, you know, lead the set or call the tunes, and so there's just a lot of chemistry. It doesn't have to be one person just leading all the rest of them all the time, you know. So, definitely a cool, cool uh, fact about about Butcher Brown.
1: Absolutely, I think that speaks to the camaraderie of the group. And if you have, you know, a, a, a music ensemble where everybody in the group gets along pretty well, and you can hear some of that in this record, um, where they. They showcase the banter that goes on in between them, and and just how much fun they're having, and and they they mess around a little bit. Uh, you can you can do that when you have people you not only play well with but also get along with.
0: Yeah, for sure. It seems like these guys are definitely friends as well as being you know in the in the group together. So let's get into um, the musicians a little bit, the personnel on the album. So on sax and trumpet, we have Marcus Tenney. On keys, we have Devon uh, Duh, D.J. Harrison. Um, Devon Harris, I think, is his real name, though, but he goes by D.J. Harrison. That's right. And then Morgan Burrs on guitar, Andrew Randazzo on the bass, and then Corey Fonville on the drums. Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about Marcus?
1: Yeah, Marcus Tinney, he plays both the saxophone and the trumpet, and he started on trumpet in the sixth grade, He played all throughout school and studied music at VCU, which is Virginia Commonwealth University. And that's where a lot of these guys, if not all of them, met, uh, almost all of them, met and and started playing together in college at VCU. Marcus studied with Rex Richardson, who, if you don't know, at one time was a Joe Henderson sideman. So a lot to learn from Dr. Rex Richardson. And, and that was, you know, mainly on trumpet. And as he was going through college in school, he picked up the saxophone. He thought it, it spoke to him a lot more, had a little more of an emotional effect when you play the instrument. And he really dug that. So he added that into his playing towards the end of his, his college studies. And then along the way, he started performing. Um, with a lot of guys, especially Reginald Chapman and the No BS Brass Band, and now is more or less, like you said, the leader of Butcher Brown, and he contributes a lot musically to this album. I really dig his trumpet playing in general.
0: Yeah, and his sax sound is definitely developing as well. I've grown to uh, this sound, I think this record is from a little while back so his sax sound is kind of um a little bit more raw but it's developed now and some of the recordings now his his sound is fleshed out a little bit more and his ideas are are getting to be really good one thing to note is um i mentioned earlier he goes by the moniker uh king butch when he's with butcher brown that's kind of a what they what they all call him so if you ever see that they're referring to to marcus tenney the sax and trumpet player cool Well, let's get into um dj harrison the keyboard player as max said he's a multi-instrumentalist he also plays the drums and the bass as well as as the keys, and I think that kind of gives him, you know, he has a very rhythmic, funky style on the keyboard, and you can kind of tell that he has that a little bit of the drummer in him with some of the the rhythmic stuff that he does. He also studied at VC or yeah VCU, which is in Richmond, Virginia, uh, which is where Marcus DJ. Morgan all went and I think they met I don't think Andrew the bass player went there, but I think they he's a Richmond Richmond guy. So they met him in Richmond while they were studying at VCU. So but yeah, so um one thing about DJ is he likes to experiment with some different sounds and different keyboard sounds. So we'll get into that on the album and the way he uses a pedal board and some different pedals that he uses uh on when we get into the album itself and then morgan burrs is the guitar player he also studied at vcu like we said he plays in many different styles he has a very kind of uh southern soul style to his guitar playing and he's uh performed alongside quincy jones trombone shorty and uh winton marsalis as as well so some cool cool uh people he's played with there and then let's get into andrew Rendazzo. He, like I said, Richmond-based musician. He's been he's played with Natalie Press, uh, Thorpe Jensen, and now is the full-time bassist with with Butcher Brown. And then Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about the drummer, who is maybe the most notable musician on the album, Corey Fonville?
1: Yeah, I think he is the one you would recognize the most, other than maybe Marcus. Um, Corey Fonville, the drummer on this. Originally from Virginia Beach, Virginia, he's been playing drums since he was age two. So that is insane. <laughs> um, but almost at the time he started walking, he was playing drums.
0: He was waddling um, playing the drums.
1: <laughs> that's right. He attended the New School in New York, uh, and then he transferred to the Dave Brubeck Institute. Um, clear across the country, they gave him a big scholarship, and he basically went to Dave Brubeck Institute for free. So that's why he went over there. And after graduating, he toured with so many greats like uh, Nicholas Payton, Christian Scott, Jackie Terrison. And he is right now one of the most sought-after, most in-demand drummers today in both the jazz scene and the hip-hop or R&B scenes. So he he kind of gets around. He's he's very musical. You can hear on this record all the things he pulls from when he's, when he's playing the drum set and... He's, he's very, I don't know, diverse in what he does, and I don't know, sometimes you can't predict what he's going to do next, but you know it's always going to be grooving and it's always going to be in the pocket, and I know he plays a lot with Christian Scott.
0: Yeah, that's probably the most notable is he's played on a lot of K- Christian Scott's albums and toured with Christian Scott a lot. So cool. Well, let's get into the album itself. There are four main actual musical tracks on the album, as well as two uh, pre-cut interludes. And so Max, why don't you tell us about uh, pre-cut interlude number one? What are your thoughts on, on that one?
1: Right. They The, the album starts with this. It, uh, it's not very long. I think it's 30 seconds, maybe a minute. You can hear a bit of the bass going on, kind of like it's it's just just pra- the bass player's practicing a little bit or or just tuning or something. There's a lot of banter and a lot of laughter you can hear amongst the players, so you get a sense, a little sense of the camaraderie that's going on and it's a brief brief example of what I mentioned which was the relationship between the musicians. It's a sense of what we call quote unquote the hang. And the hang is is you know kind of a, a go to term for how well you can as a as a player also converse and communicate and talk and hang out with the other musicians and just how well you you um, sort of uh, get along with the other players that you're on a gig or a recording session with. And so here you can just clearly get the sense that there's great communication between all the players and they just love doing what they're doing, not only on their instruments, but with each other.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think this just really kind of sets you into the, the uh, kind of the mood of the album, which is going to be kind of raw and definitely a live studio session. It's not like this is a studio album. It seems like they had a certain amount of studio time and it was just one take on everything. They just went in and they kind of ran through the tunes. So this is kind of gets you into that feeling, you know, like, all right, we're here, we're hanging out in the studio, like, let's get these songs recorded. So let's get into the first, the second track, but the first actual musical track on the album, which is the song entitled Fiat. And so this one starts out with just the bass groove and the drums. Um, it kind of sets the the scene for the whole album, which is going to be super funky, super grooving. And then the the guitar comes in with kind of a funk rhythm as well. And then Marcus Tenney begins to creep in with kind of a repeated melody on on the sax. And it's just super, super funky at this point. Max, what do you think about the, the melody?
1: Well, first, before the melody, I love how on each of the tracks you hear a count off from the drummer and mm. you can hear the sticks, you know, clacking against each other. That's just a cool, you know, almost uh, reminds me of what you would do on an actual gig. And I like that aspect of this recording. Um, not only on this track, but on, on the other ones as well, you can hear that count off from the drums and it just seems authentic. And, y- y- you know, I, I love that they're keeping that because to me, that is part of the music that's going on. Um, the form of the song isn't, it's kind of an AB tune and it's an A minor. So it's a kind of a two chord four bar groove that repeats four times. And then there's a B section with a two bar melody. That's also repeated four times. And then the whole head is repeated two times, which was a little surprising. I thought maybe they would only do the whole head one time through, but um, I kind of like that. They did the whole head repeated. Um, Cause it is a cat- catchy melody. And I also really dig the funk groove that the guitar is, is playing. It kind of reminds me of, a, of the go-go DC sound. Washington DC is known for the, the go-go. Um, or there's like a disco influence in what the guitarist is doing as well. Um, so that just adds so much to the feel of the song. And one constant thing we're going to be talking about with every track is, is how well each song grooves. And so for this, what the guitar is doing is essential to the overall groove of the song.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think this, uh, this album just really makes you kind of, for me, I'm like, I can't help but to move my head and like kind of like get into it, you know, because it's, it is really funky, really grooving. And the groove is kind of the, the overlying theme to to the album. So yeah, one thing I want to note is that uh, Corey on the drums is doing like a 16th beat feel over the A sections. And then he kind of digs into the melody of the the rhythm of the melody during the the B sections with the rest of the band during the bridge. And he does that the first time. But then the second time on the B section, he goes into like more of a four feel on the the crash. And then the A sections are still that 16th beat uh, kind of feel to him. So, yeah. And then let's get into the, the sax solo a little bit. And one thing that I like, and they do this pretty much, I think, on every single song on the album is the sax solo starts out with just drums and bass for 16 bars and Corey and Andrew are just super locked in and they're super deep in the pocket and like I said it was just hard for me not to physically get into this one while I'm listening to it kind of you know move my head and you know do a little you know dancing to myself while while I'm listening to this one
1: it's definitely a head bopper um like a lot of these are Um, I also like on the start of the sax solo, he quotes the B section melody. Um, I just love quoting the melody. I mean, it's essential to jazz music. And he does that here. I really dig it. There's some nice falling lines he uses throughout his solo. Kind of reminds me of a little Joe Henderson. Um, There's a nice modern lick kind of moving downward in intervals at minute marker 219. And he gets a little funkier at 303. There's kind of more modern cliche ideas um, right around 310 to 320. You hear some triad pairs or triadic patterns at 334. There's some nice brief high notes, almost altissimo notes. And then at 357, there's a really just a lot of nice ideas where he's kind of going out of the key, you know, doing an idea and then bumping up a half step or, or messing around where you mess around with the key you're in and also the key that is a half step away either up or down that you're in. So he kind of he he does that right around 357, continues blowing and then he, they come back in with the B section underneath him towards the end of the solo. So I imagine he cued where he wanted the end of this end of his solo to kind of be where they they come in with that B section groove there's kind of two different grooves going on during the A section of the song and the B section of the song. So he's cueing the B section groove to indicate the tor- you know the ending part of his solo. So they play that B section groove underneath him at the end of the solo, and he nicely tapers off um, on the horn towards the end of his solo, and then we get a key solo after that.
0: Yeah, I definitely wanted to add just a few things that I noticed is when the keys and the guitar come into, you know, when they start playing with Marcus during his solo, I kind of felt like a kind of an Eddie Harris kind of funk feel to the to the solo And then uh, Marcus kind of goes, quote unquote, goes out or goes away from the center of the the key at like 310 and he stays out until like 327, which is pretty cool. So definitely some different ideas when we talk about going out and not necessarily, you know, playing some different ideas that might be extensions or kind of away from the center of, of the key. And then one thing I like is that the rhythm section, they just really build throughout his solo and one thing I as well I wanted to talk about is DJ uses kind of multiple electric piano sounds throughout the album and through Marcus's solo particularly. And he, it just helps with different textures. Um, I think I know he's using a Fender Rhodes, uh, like an actual Rhodes itself. And then he has some kind of synthesizer. I think it's a Roland synth, maybe like a, a Juno D8. Um, I'm not exactly sure if that's what he's using, but it's what it sounds like. And that's he's going to use for all of his other keyboard sounds. He plays the like a clavinet and some different Wurlitzer electric piano sounds. So he's using different sounds on that synthesizer throughout the album. And uh, one thing he does as well is he has a, a pedal board and he does a lot of wah-wah effects. So he has his top keyboard hooked up to his, his pedal board and, and he's got a wah pedal that he's playing when he's you know playing that that top keyboard, and he does it a lot with the clavinet, and so he'll play it and then kind of get some wahs, you know, use the wah effect on it, which is pretty cool. And like Max said, they bring it back into the bridge at the end of Marcus's solo, and then they kind of bring the groove down, and that leads into the the keys solo, like Max was talking about.
1: I like the keys solo and how you know the rhythm section is treating that differently than what they played underneath marcus and that just speaks to the musicality of the group it's much more mellow to start it kind of feels ominous right there when the the uh, dj harrison is starting a solo and later on he plays the lick at 440 (laughs) i know you noticed that
0: oh yeah for sure yeah i definitely have that in my notes anytime the lick is played we got to mention it
1: (laughs) And I also dig what the drums are doing uh, behind the keys. He's very clever. Corey is is pulling from a lot of different feels, and he's doing a lot of different hits on the snare drum and the cymbals. So listen for how Corey Fonville is backing up the key solo um, and just everything he's doing. Also, there's some nice lines at 533 where he goes a little out, Um And he intersperses those out moments very nicely. And he gets much more rhythmic right at 620 towards the end of his solo. And he does that later on in the album. He seems to have something of a formula for how he's approaching his solos on this, where, you know, start out kind of, nice and easy you you get busier and then towards the end of a solo he's going to get more rhythmic mm-hmm. so you hear that on this solo
0: yeah that's definitely kind of his style as well I've, I've heard them play live and that can be kind of his style is to start out a little bit more sparse and spacey and then kind of as it develops he'll really get into some more rhythmic stuff and the band will will follow in with them with Corey and, and andrew on the bass yeah, I definitely, I like the use of dynamics here, how they really bring the groove down into the key solo. And you get kind of less notes from the bass, but he's still outlining the groove, which is cool. And then I think one thing that's good to note is that Corey and Andrew are still super deep in the pocket, although they've brought the dynamic back a lot. It's still super deep and the pocket's super deep. So that's that's good to note. And then uh, one thing I want to note is he has some... DJ has some really cool uh triplet rhythmic ideas at 607 and I love the way that he lays back on the beat during some of those those triplet rhythms and that's a really cool thing that we can, you know, do as musicians, and it's it's super musical to do that. Oscar is really good at laying back on the beat, and it's it, a lot of times you'll do it over a triplet feel. It kind of really gives the music a push and pull to it, so when you're playing a, uh, a triplet, you might play the triplet twice, and then the third time you play it, you start to really lay on the backside of the beat with that triplet, and then you'll you know, you'll know get back onto the beat, which is... A, so he does that there, and I really like the way that, that he does that. Um, yeah, and then... <laughs> Go ahead. Yep,
1: that's, I was just going to say that's a great point that's uh, good to listen for because in swing, sometimes, you know, you can get lost in what's going on. But if you try and dig in and you listen for how they're pushing and pulling the beat, that will, you know, let you understand or, or feel the music a little bit better and realize how well um, they're swinging or in this case, how well they're grooving. Um, so that's a good point. And I wanted to say they also come back in with that that B section groove underneath the end of the key solo, and then when they end it, there's kind of no real repeat of a head section. They just kind of end it after that key solo. What do yeah, you think of that?
0: Yeah, they just go back to the the bridge basically, and they do the B section one time, um, but DJ soloing throughout the bridge. So they play the bridge, but DJ DJ still soloing while they're you know while Marcus is playing the the melody of the bridge section. So I think that's kind of cool. You don't always have to go back to, to the A section. And yeah, I think it's one thing that's cool to talk about is this album may not be your typical kind of like straight ahead jazz, or it might not sound like a lot of the other jazz we've done. It's definitely a more modern funk and groove influenced version of jazz, but there's a lot of things that are very musically like, um, influenced by by those things and jazz bebop and different you know so we're talking about how to feel the beat and how to swing and that kind of thing it's very very influenced by a lot of those techniques and these guys are really well studied and very you know so while this is not that same kind of jazz it's a more modern form of jazz there's a lot of that those techniques being used
1: that's right these are all jazz guys um and if you're hip you know what that means basically it's just you can approach any song, in my opinion, in, in mainstream American culture from a jazz musician's lens and not necessarily be a jazz, be let it be a jazz song. So you can, you know, earlier we, we were talking about playing, you know, Beatles tunes or, or rock and roll songs or classic rock tunes or hip hop standards more or less that have become standards because of how prominent they were in the hip-hop in the 90s early 2000s but the way you do it is still jazz oriented you know maybe you have longer solos maybe you you push and pull the beat you have different sections maybe you elongate the ending or you have an elongated intro intro outro kind of stuff there's a lot of interaction between the musicians um a lot of playful sort of um musical uh you know interaction going on and so that's kind of the way some some really great jazz players in in this history of of the music have said that jazz is not a particular genre of music but it's a way to play music it's a way to live uh some would say so you know it's it's very cool to hear non-jazz tunes or not or or tunes that are not straight ahead but are influenced by straight ahead jazz. And that's that's kind of what this album is.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point. I love how you said the jazz isn't necessarily, yeah, a genre to where everything, all the changes, you don't have to do rhythm changes on every tune. This has got a lot of very simple chord changes, you know, lots of two two chord kind of grooves on this album, but still the foundations of jazz. And these guys are great jazz musicians, and it is, you know, jazz in that sense and so i i I love what you said there that's a a really good way to to look at it max let's move on to the third track on the album which is entitled street pharmacy why don't you get started on on this one max
1: i really like this this track again you can hear the cool count off from the drums um it's just a neat aspect to this album the backbeat is and the deep groove that is established with the bass guitar and the drums is is so hip um it, it just feels really good th- the way that they're playing, and it's a deep, deep pocket. We then get the trumpet playing off the line that the guitar establishes at 33 seconds, which leads to a cool call and response between the rhythm section and the trumpet. So that's one prime example of what we're talking about when we're saying, you know, you can get a lot of jazz elements or jazz influence um, approaches to a song without the song itself being quote unquote a jazz song or a straight ahead tune. So here, you know, the call and response goes back, you know, at least a hundred years, if not really 150 years. um, When we're talking about the fundamental um, foundations of jazz music, the call and response aspect has been there since the beginning. And so this is a, a great example of that. If you listen for how the trumpet and the rhythm section are interacting right there. Before the melody hits at one o three,
0: yeah, and I would think, in my opinion, I would say that the groove that the rhythm section is playing over the a section, a section, is the melody of that section, and then the trumpet is kind of responding to that melody.
1: Yes, you're right. You're right. At first, it seems like a long, like a long intro, and then um, there's a there's a definitely an established melody at one o three, but um, you're right. As part of the form, if you keep listening. The whole head starts at the 23 second mark and it's the start of an A, B form and everything before that 23 second mark is an intro. But right when that 23 second mark hits right around there, that's really the start of the form. And that first A section is a back and forth call and response section.
0: Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say is that I really like this kind of technique, this compositional technique, and like you don't have to do the melody with just the horn player playing and then other guys, the bass playing a groove and then the keyboard player playing chords. Like this melody, the entire rhythm section is basically playing this groove together. It's just, you know, the, the keys, the guitar, the bass and the drummer, they're all playing this, this melody together. And then you've got Marcus, response kind of doing a call response to the melody in the a section which is i think is a really cool thing and it kind of just you can you can write songs in so many different ways you could just have the bass player playing the melody you could have you know so many different ways to compose a tune it doesn't have to be the same way every time so i really like this approach and it, it definitely makes this song stand out a little bit in in the a section there
1: absolutely it opens it up so much and if you have an open section as part of the established form it. I think just elevates the possibilities you can do with a composition like that. And you can hear a lot more interplay between the musicians um, when that occurs. And so I I think that that is a great aspect to this song um, street pharmacy. Uh, So it's just something to listen for and really, really check out. They also play the, the form twice through here as well.
0: Yeah, and I really like the, the B section of, of this tune. It kind of swings. It has like a swing to it. And the A section is like really funky, but then the B section kind of has more of a, a swing and feel to it, which is, is really cool.
1: Yeah, I love the different feels and grooves on the two sections. The first one, like I alluded to earlier, it's, it's really a deep, deep in the pocket groove. And then the, the B section is kind of more of a driving pocket. It's a busier beat when that trumpet comes in with that established melody um it really grooves and to me it really kind of swings i mean it's not a swing feel you know they're not doing a a swing feel on the hi-hat and the the ride cymbal but it swings in that it just grooves really hard
0: yeah for sure and it it definitely does yet Has kind of a swung, like a swung feel to it. Although you know it's not straight, like straight eighth notes. Um, it right. has more of a, a swing feel to it than uh, like an eighth note or a sixteenth note groove or beat does to it. So yeah, and so DJ Harrison takes the first solo on this one. And like before, they start with just drums and bass as the solo starts. This is going to kind of be their recipe. And one thing that they do really well as a band is they build their solos really well and through the energy. And so this is a way that they do that is they start out by bringing the groove kind of way back with just the bass and the drums. And so... Yeah. And one thing I want to point out is that DJ is using a wah-wah pedal through the, his synthesizer, like I mentioned before, but he's doing it on the solo, which is really cool. He's using a clavinet sound here. So he's got a wah-wah pedal and the clav, which you think of Stevie Wonder with a clav superstition. So if you know that song, that's a clav right there. And so that's kind of that like punchy sound, but DJ is using a wah pedal to kind of be able to really get a lot of phrasing out of out of the sound of his keyboard so he's able to use the punchiness of the clav as well as the wah pedal to kind of really shape the phrases that he's playing and so his style on this one like we talked about is it's pretty rhythmic it's a lot more rhythmic than linear on this although there are some cool lines in his solo and i think this just really fits the the funky vibe of of the of the tunes here so
1: I think you're right. The key solo here is more in the pocket improvisation than, you know, modern, uh, linear, large intervallic ideas, you know, modern for the sake of modern is how I would think about it. Um, there's a little less of that here. It's more groove oriented and it's just a nice solo all in all. And then we get uh, a trumpet solo right after that. And they're doing the second groove during that B section behind the trumpet solo. So they don't do that A section groove at all for the trumpet solo. They just stick to that B B groove and I think that is so hip. It really it just really funkifies everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, it's really cool because yeah, over the entire key solo, it's just the A section. So they do A section for the entire key solo, and then when Marcus comes in on trumpet, then they get into the kind of swing and B section. And it just kind of really reminds me of almost like a Freddie Hubbard tune with the way that like maybe like a Red Clay or something. The way that that um that he's playing, his sound is kind of akin to to Freddie Hubbard. And so that's kind of the feeling I get there. I like how they utilize the different sections for different solos. That's definitely a good point there, Max.
1: That's right, and and I like that Hubbard uh, connection because you can hear he has a very straight tone on the trumpet, not much vibrato, if any at all, until very uh, towards the end of the album you get a little vibrato, but it's, it's very straight tone, very Freddie Hubbard-esque. Um, he's got a lot of nice lines, and there's a really cool double time line at 5.04. At 5.15, he does some very, very neat fast up and down sweeps on the horn kind of reminded me of, of how he improvised a little bit on his first sax solo. Um, so he's approaching that in a similar way here. And I love what he plays at 542. It's very uh, much more rhythmic and more melodic and groovy. And to me, that spoke to me a little bit more than some of what he was doing uh, earlier in the solo.
0: Yeah, I definitely noted that as well. I put in all caps, grooving hard at 540. He really got me moving there. I was really starting to to get into it at, at that point. And, yeah, I really like how he uses a lot of cool rhythmic techniques, but as well as, like, the lines and the runs. I just uh, – I really love his solo. He comes in hot on the solo, I love the way that, that he comes in on this one. So a really cool solo and really well-fleshed-out solo from, from Marcus here.
1: And I think his trumpet solo is a little more dynamic. It's got a bigger, fuller sound and it just seems more solidified than his saxophone playing. And again, this is an almost four year old album. So I think you said earlier, his saxophone playing has evolved and, and, you know, really gotten into something, you know, really worth listening to. Not to say that here it's not good because it definitely is good. He has a lot of great ideas, but just his, his tone on the instrument is not quite as full and solidified as his trumpet sound.
0: Yeah. I think one thing, the, is you can tell that he's more of a trumpet player on this album than a saxophone player. But more recently, it's harder to tell which instrument he started first. Like, his, his trumpet playing and his sax playing are pretty, you know, his trumpet playing is really, really good, but his sax playing is really starting to get there to where it's kind of hard nowadays to tell, man, is this guy a trumpet player or a sax player? He's kind of just really both at this point. But it, <laughs> it, back in 2018, yeah. you could tell that he was really well studied on the the trumpet and was still developing his saxophone style.
1: And I want to say it's really, really difficult to be both a trumpet player and a saxophone player. The mechanics yeah. that, <laughs> They're that so go different. into <laughs> the mechanics that go into physically playing those instruments are about as different as possible. There's a couple of instances in jazz history where there was a player or two that that could pull that off. One being Benny Carter, the great swing-oriented um, alto sax player. He also played trumpet. Um, the great Ray Nance from Duke Ellington Orchestra, play both violin and trumpet, Mm. um, which are also two very different instruments. But uh, it's really, really hard to pull that off. And yes, if you listen to him more recently, you know, he does it just superbly uh, on both instruments. Um, So props to him in general for wanting to pick up the saxophone in addition to his trumpet, you know, in in school and, and in the gigging scene because it's very tough to do.
0: Yeah, I think it's the first time I ever listened to Butcher Brown, I was just really blown away. I sent it to Max immediately. I was like, this guy, this cat is ridiculous. And one thing that he does as well, he doesn't do it on this album, but we talked about the hip-hop influence. They they'll do some hip hop tracks and he raps as well. Like so this this dude is just super talented. His rapping is really cool as well. I really uh I'm I'm a hip hop guy, so I like hip hop and he's good at rapping as well. So going to see him live, he's just kind of a jack of all trades. Trumpet, saxophone, he'll rap some songs. It's just it's he's a really talented guy.
1: Absolutely. He's an all-around musician and it's great to see and, and listen to. Um and then how they end the track. There's kind of, again, no verbatim head repeated, but they end with the feel of the A section um, very shortly to end it. Um, The the endings of these are, are quite interesting to listen to.
0: Yeah, yeah. They don't do the typical kind of like play the whole one time through the melody again. They, I don't think they do that at all on this album. They'll end each song in kind of a different way. Usually they go back to something from the form, whether it be the A section or the B section or something from one of those sections. So I think it's really interesting to listen to how they draw back to the melody, but don't play the whole melody to end it like you might typically see in jazz music.
1: Absolutely. And then after this track, we get another pre-cut interlude. And so this is the second interlude on the album. Um, The the first one was what what they opened up with before the actual first song. And here, I think we get a lot more from this interlude cut. Even though you're just hearing banter from the the musicians, it's very uh, important to actually listen to what they're saying because you can learn a lot here about the process of recording and the process of playing together as an ensemble. They mentioned number one, the talk back mic. If you don't know what a talk back mic is, it's, it's what, you know, it would be a microphone for the band leader or for the arranger of the session or maybe the producer to use when they're talking to the other musicians on the recording session, because a lot of times each instrument is isolated and so they would have their own little rooms where only their instrument could be heard from the microphone picking them up. Or sometimes it's a very large room and the players are in different corners of the room so that the microphones don't pick up the sounds of the other instruments and, and have what we call bleed through. So you can you can get a sense of that when they're talking about, oh, I can't hear the talk back mic. Oh, I can hear the talk back mic. Oh, I can't hear it. so it's important that they hear the talkback mic so that they can get the directions from the, from the band leader or in this case, I think uh, a lot of the direction was coming from the, the keys player. So they needed to hear what you know, what the cue was going to be for, for a certain section because I think a lot of times during their solos, especially they're cueing you know, either the next solo or the next section to end their own solo. So you got to hear for, for what they're going to say is, is going to be their signal to cue the band. Um, that's just one example of a direction, but there's a lot you can learn from this banter in this interlude.
0: Yeah. I think it's, it's just kind of fun, the kind of banter. And at one point you can hear them kind of messing around with each other. Yeah. They say like, Oh, I can't hear the talk back mic. And then at one point one of the member goes, what's wrong with you <laughs> and you could tell he's just <laughs> yeah, like messing right. with the other guy and that just kind of reminds me of like our practices where we'll mess with each other and we'll be like be like i'll be like max will this is like such a common thing max and i will play together and max won't have played like one of the tunes that we've played in a long time and then max will just mess like max can never remember the 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 melodies to tunes and it i'll be like i'll just mess and I'll be like max dude how can we play these tunes every all the time and you can't remember the melodies and i'll just give max a hard time and then all of a max will be messing around and he'll just like not even be close to the melody and then uh we'll play it and it'll just be perfect and i'm like how did you just <laughs> randomly re- like <laughs> he'll be like oh I, I got it i remembered it <laughs> so it just it kind of reminds me of that like we're just messing around with each other i'll just be like max you suck dude how can you not remember the melodies <laughs> to these tunes
1: Absolutely. Or you'll call something on the on the gig that, you know, we didn't really go over and it's and I'll be like, hmm, I'm not sure if I remember it. And, and then, then there's a the brand moment, new melody
0: <laughs> sometimes. And then
1: sometimes. Yeah, sometimes there's a brand new me- melody or sometimes I, I nail it and it just I just, uh, you know, at the right moment, you can pull from your head somewhere. It's in there somewhere. Once the, the muscle
0: memory gets going too, then it's just yeah. like, yeah, so that that's fine. Yeah, there have been times on the gig that. We'll play a tune, and the melody that Max plays, I'm just like, that is not the melody to this tune. It's him. It's, fun. it's good, because Max is killing. But I'll just be like, Max, you know that wasn't the melody. <laughs> He'll be like, yeah, I couldn't really remember, so I just took it in a, my own way. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But that's just what... I where- was being... Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I was being artistic in that moment. That's
0: true, yeah. It was your artistic interpretation of the melody, not that you
1: couldn't remember the melody... <laughs> i hate that word artistic i don't know what that means it does nothing for me i'm it's just i don't know it's an excuse to do whatever the hell you want yeah sometimes
0: yeah you gotta gotta keep it in your back pocket for moments like that when you uh forget the melody max but all right let's get back on track here but yeah that just really reminded uh me of of ourselves a lot when we're practicing and when we're on gigs live you know sometimes there's a lot of camaraderie a lot of There's a lot of messing around the hang that you talked about, you know, so you hear them kind of messing. The guy goes, man, what's wrong with you? (laughs) And so, (laughs) yeah, that's true. Just it's you know, these guys are obviously really good friends and there's a lot of chemistry And it. Really the way the reason we mention this is because it comes out and they're playing really well. And I think that's there's something that that's to be said for that is the chemistry. And I think that's something that comes out when we're playing together as well. Max is just the chemistry. We've been friends for so long since we were in middle school and we've been playing together basically since then so there's just a lot of chemistry that goes into music and you can tell when we're playing together and we can we can just transition we can do things on the fly that most people wouldn't be able to do and that's something that you can tell that these guys can do as well as they they can hear something that someone's playing and they can just know all right like we're going to the, the bridge section now we're going to the b section or all right like this is what's going on next whatever ever without ever having to say it it's just something that's communicated in kind of a, a musical sense.
1: That's right, um you can learn a lot about each other from playing music with one another um not just me and you but anyone in a in a music group you you learn what not only musically what they what they like to do or what they pull from or what they you know you can predict what they're gonna do next a lot of the times, but if you get along well, you know outside of the the realm of music. Um, that is going to transfer on the bandstand and in the recording studio.
0: And I think we hear that a lot throughout history is guys who were really good friends. It translated to some really incredible playing. Like you hear Coltrane and McCoy Tyner guys who played together a lot and were really good friends their music, it just comes out in their music, and so I think that that's something, there's definitely something to be said for that, um, that camaraderie, and so, cool, well, let's get into, um, oh, one thing I wanted to mention about this is, the interlude, is there is some playing that they do, and, uh, Andrew on the bass kind of gets into some, like, harmonics, some, like, Jocko-esque kind of harmonics and stuff, and I thought that was pretty cool, so you kind of hear them messing around and quote-unquote noodling, I don't really like that word, but, you know, noodling, uh, you know
1: yeah i don't know what noodling really means um you hear people
0: say it but
1: i know but so what it's, uh, <laughs> me- another meaningless term uh like uh yeah like the bass you can also hear towards the end of the interlude the saxophone you know marcus messing around with the lick and then moving it down by half steps um and so he, either he's he's practicing a lick he's going to play, or it's something he's been working on, or he's he's just killing time working on something. So it's, it's cool to hear those moments because a lot of times in the recording studio that will happen.
0: Yeah, and I'd, I'd call it riffing more so than noodling makes it sound like you don't know what you're doing. They're like, he's riffing. Right. He's like practicing riffs, kind of like working through something. Noodling makes it sound like you're just playing to play. And that's not, they're obviously like they're playing something, whether they're warming up or just testing out a different idea. They're not just noodling around, just messing around. They're actually playing something to, to you know, with some intent there. So I think that's important to note. And I, I also don't like that word noodling. I kind of said just to kind of uh, set you off a little bit, Max. So that's, uh, that's, uh <laughs> you,
1: you know how to do that. You yeah. Know how to set
0: me off. Like, yeah. Like we said all these years together. So, all right. Let's get into the next track on the album, uh, which is Camden Square. And so this tune's really interesting. Um, It has an intro that has everyone on it, but uh, sax first that kind of sets a a mellow mood to it. And then the melody comes in over a relaxed groove in the A section. And then I really like the B section melody in it. It's like it's really nice. It's pretty catchy. And then they go back into that groove uh, like at the very beginning. And then they played the entire melody again. So they play the head twice and it lasts three minutes and thirty seconds.
1: Yeah, that's a common theme with this album. They're they're playing the head two times through no matter how long the 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 sections are. Um, so it's it's kind of predictable, but it's also kind of cool because you'd expect, you know, like a longer melody AA or in this this case. Uh, another A B form. They love the A B form, but they also love repeating it twice through. I mean, that's a co- that's another thing where there's a definite jazz connection. You know, where a lot of times if you're playing the head to a, a 16 bar form song or a 12 bar blues song, you're gonna repeat the head two times. And
0: that's so, very true.
1: So they're doing that here, and, and it's another, you know, another point to make where they are pulling from jazz, even though, you know what they're doing isn't necessarily straight ahead jazz.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think one thing that's cool is it really kind of, this one kind of drags on for a long time, which is fine. It really sets you into the groove and the feel of the song when they when they play the melody or the, the head twice. So I think it really kind of sets you in and then it really leaves you like wanting to get into the solos and then they really do a good job with the dynamics from the heads to the beginning of the solos and then really building throughout the solos. So I think... It's, you know, they have a stylistic approach to their music and a unique style that they, you know, they kind of stick to. And then so the first solo on this one is guitar. Morgan takes a guitar solo on this one. And it's just he has a very, very soul and R&B kind of southern soul style to his playing kind of compared to the rest of the group it's a little more soulful when when Morgan takes a solo than some of the other guys. Definitely Marcus can get kind of soulful on the saxophone um and the trumpet as well, but Morgan has a very very soul-influenced style to him and he's just super easy to listen to. I love I love listening to uh, to Morgan.
1: I also think we get kind of cleaner guitar tones mm-hmm. right here, you know, it's a little more I don't know, Wes Montgomery esque in terms of the sound. I mean, not, not verbatim, but it's just a cleaner groove. Maybe uh, George Benson comes to mind for sure. Exactly. You know, it's like George Benson here. Um, and I like, you know, it's an extended guitar feature. Um, he uses a ton of ideas. He's good about playing around with an idea or a chordal movement and doing it and repeating it a number of different ways. So he's a great developer improvisationally and that's something to listen to from from the guitar solo here 540 to 545 those minute markers that's a prime example of what i'm talking about
0: yeah and i think that's definitely important to note about his the cleanness he rarely uses any distortion especially when he's playing solos it's a very clean like you're saying west montgomery like a clean um kind of sound to it which is which is cool. It's it's you know a lot of guitarists will rely on like a little bit more of like effects or distortion or something to to kind of get that sound. But he definitely has that that cleaner sound that he's that he's playing through, which is cool. And then they go back into the melody, but straight into the B section after Morgan's solo, um, which is kind of cool.
1: I also wanted to say the melody is also cool to listen to because the the first A section it's a two bar lick that's repeated six times. And then there's that second four bar idea that's the B section repeated four times. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not four and four like a lot of the other tunes, Um, it's six and four. So that's kind of a neat compositional um, point to make when listening to this track.
0: Yeah, and one thing to note is that their compositions are kind of similar, but different. Like They have a style to their compositions with the A and the B sections and how they're kind of different with the funk funkier feel sometimes in the A section and B sections, but they kind of do these things to switch it up, like having a little bit longer A section than a B section on this one. And I think one thing that's really cool is instead of going back to the A section this time, we're talking about how they typically don't go back to an entire time through the head at the end of the song. But on this one, instead of going back into the A section like they've done, they go straight into the... b section and they do the b section on the way out
1: yeah and i love at the ending you can hear the bass kind of cueing musically they're kind of letting the bass lead the end of the song Mm -hmm. and you can also hear kind of elongated uh symbols as well so that's a cool you know aspect to camden square that you're not getting on the other tracks is how they're they're ending this one at the very end. The bass kind of shines there as they end this song.
0: Yeah, and I think that's... We kind of mentioned how everyone in this group can kind of lead the group at times, and there's a lot of chemistry. We get that there as they let Andrew kind of take them out on this one, which is cool. One thing I want to note, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, is that there are definitely other recordings of this tune that I prefer to this particular recording on their NPR tiny desk. That's really popular. They do the, the tune a lot faster, a good bit faster, and it grooves a little bit harder when they do it faster. And in that recording, they break the groove down after Morgan's guitar solo. And then they go into, uh, a Marcus Tenney sax solo, which is absolutely killing. And how we talked about how his style develops has developed over the years that solo was really killing. So, and it's a much, I prefer that version, um, to this version of, of this track. So definitely go check that out.
1: Do you know what year that tiny desk concert is from?
0: It's from, it might be the very end of the pandemic. It's either 2020 or 2021. Um, let me, I'll, I'll look up. It'll take me two seconds. Um,
1: I'm I, just curious because you're right. You can hear, cause I've, I've listened to that or, or watched that. And, the sax playing on that just a little little bit more dynamic and they open up certain sections a lot more than than they do here um so i i really like you know what they're doing on on that tiny desk concert
0: it's from 2021 which uh so yeah like right you know kind of right after the thick of the pandemic so yeah three years after this and there's a there's definitely uh you can tell they're a little more buttoned up and I really like that that entire recording. And the like we talked about, his sax sound has has developed. So definitely go check that out. It would honestly be cool to review that as an album, even though it's not technically an album. It's a it's a cool recording. And we talked about um, how King Butch uh, Marcus Tenny does some some rapping. He does some rapping uh, during that performance. So you kind of hear what I was what I'm talking about there. So cool. Well, let's get into. Um, the final track on the album, which is 918. Max, what do you think about about this final track on the album?
1: It's got a very funk-style kind of guitar groove. Um, I, I think I like this one a little more than Camden Square. It definitely grooves a little harder. Um, there's less busier drums here, too, um, and it works to the groove's overall effect and really just makes it, groove a little bit more and breathe a little bit better, especially during the the start of the guitar solo that occurs. Um, but before that you get a a trumpet, uh, kind of melody right at the 23 second mark. And this song is a little bit more of a conventional song form. It's 16, it's a 16 bar form and it's, um, it just, it, it's just more in the sort of tradition of, um, jazz composition the way the melody is formed here and i i just i really do dig it the guitar has the the first solo as i alluded to earlier and there's a lot of nice single line ideas that he throws in and there's a little bit more of a boppish blues element to the guitar solo there's more lines and and more kind of of the bebop tradition in, in what the guitar is playing here and you can hear that right at 246.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I really I like this groove. It's very funk influenced, funk oriented. Um, and I really like the trumpet melody on this. And it definitely, like we were talking about Freddie Hubbard, it kind of reminds me of a of a Freddie Hubbard kind of uh, a melody on this one. And then again, I wanted to mention they really dial it back at the beginning of Morgan's guitar solo, and it's just drums and bass again. So they've kind of got this recipe for how they approach solos, especially on this album. And so what they're really doing is they're just giving themselves room to grow throughout that solo, which is nice. And one thing that's really cool is Corey on the drums picks up on the rhythm that Morgan's playing at 140. And then he really highlights it. And I just want to talk about Corey for a second. His playing on this album has just been so fantastic. And one thing that's really unique is that he hasn't needed a solo to show how like fantastic of a musician he is. He's just been able to do it while accompanying the other guys throughout the entire album. So I think it's just super, that's a, indicative of how good of a musician he is is he stands out so much without ever needing to be to be highlighted, you know, solo on the album. So everything he does is just super tasteful. And he's just deep in the pocket at, at all times. And it's, it's really evident how deep he is in the pocket by these grooves. They're very funk grooves. So they're very like very easy to dig into a groove on, on these, on these tracks. So he's definitely one of my favorite current jazz drummers to listen to.
1: Yeah. Every track on this album, you can hear how well Corey just complements everything else that's going on and all the different things he's doing on those cymbals and on the snare and the, and the kick drum too. It's, um it's really something worth your attention. And, you can tell that he's great at what he's doing because even though he does not get a, a feature or a long solo or anything, you know, he still grabs our attention every chance um, possible. So yeah, Corey on drums is, is killing it throughout and just the way he's, he's, he's playing and interacting with everything else that's going on is a lesson in itself. Um, Especially I like what he's doing on the key solo, right here on this tune there's a lot of nice rim stick playing that's going on it just creates a really cool effect you know he's always kind of developing and changing what he's doing on the drum set and so that that's a lesson again and they're just approaching the feel a number of different ways
0: yeah i definitely agree with that he keeps it super interesting you know with the way that he can kind of switch it switch things up and play on different parts of the drums like you were saying and so yeah dj takes a solo on the Rhodes this time which is cool because the other solos he's taken have been on his um his synthesizer using like other keyboard sounds but he takes one on the Rhodes this time which is cool and the Rhodes has a very unique sound think like ray charles um kind of sound uh yeah he starts out pretty spacey on this one and then he gets into that more groove and rhythmic stuff at 402 this is what max is talking about how he kind of has a a recipe to how you know a formula how to how he approaches his solo starts out with space and then he really digs into kind of rhythm and, and groove stuff and then once again like you're saying Corey's just listening and communicating super well with what he's playing and they really really build the the solo well and Like you said, Corey just really stands out to me on this tune. He's just, he's really, really complimenting what DJ's doing fantastically on this solo.
1: I also noticed that there's a lot of nice left hand usage movement from DJ Harrison on this solo. Did you notice how, how well or how more prominent he's, you know, the left hand is coming out here? Yeah, and he's
0: using his left hand in kind of a more traditional, and there's definitely a stylistic difference between playing the roads to playing a clav, whereas the left hand on a clav might be used just for kind of a rhythmic thing, and that's something you get on organ too where you might you might not really be focusing on what note you're playing with your left hand, but you're hitting the keys just to create a rhythmic effect. Here, he's actually using his left hand on the roads to kind of comp a little bit more and play some more... Um, chords and stuff but then when he gets into the rhythmic stuff he definitely uses his left hand in a rhythmic way so i think that's a very good um a very good observation max and it kind of goes to show that he approaches the keyboard people think of like okay there's the keyboard and you just play the keyboard but when you're playing the clav and playing a rhodes there's very different stylistic approaches to playing both of those instruments so it's it's cool to note that he's he's approaching it differently and his left hand is doing different things when he's taking solos on each of the the keyboard instruments
1: See, I knew you would have an answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just noticed, oh, wow, there's a lot of left hand going on. I wonder why. Yeah. Um, and that's why. So, and then after that, you know, after the key solo, we get the trumpet back in. Marcus is back in with the head right up around the 520 mark. And they play the head out. But there's a nice ride out at 602. And so they elongate. They do kind of an elongated ending which reminded me of a sort of three, six, two, five ride out that, you know, a lot of straight ahead players would do on a, on a swing tune. They do that here in, in sort of the, the funk groove way that, that they're playing. And um, that kind of starts at the six Oh two mark. They're doing just a nice four chord groove as the trumpet takes it and solos on top of that. And they kind of, he, he solos out. There's a lot, a uh, lot to listen for. There's some nice chromaticism. He, he displays a great range on the instrument. There's a lot of eighth note ideas, um, kind of more, again, linear movement and what's going on. And um, also at 710, he plays around with one note and and does it in a very rhythmic fashion. And that's another lesson we talked a little bit about this last um last episode with with Satchmo at Pasadena you should not be afraid to repeat notes as an improviser so everything that he's he's been doing you know all the out stuff all the all the different falls and and everything he has been doing on the instrument you know you can clearly hear how great of a player he is but he also is not afraid to repeat notes still as as an incredible improviser so you hear that at 710 I just, I just love when that happens, when an improviser just messes around with one or two notes and then goes from there and and here, he's very rhythmic with it. So you can get a sense for what you can do with just, just one note. And then after that, they kind of end with the last part of the head repeated four times. And then finally, 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 thank God we get some trumpet vibrato. I love the vibrato. So keep it coming. And we get that here. Kind of on that last note from the trumpet.
0: Keep in mind that Max is uh lives in Kansas City and super influenced by Lester Young and Ben Webster. So vibrato is something that Max <laughs> is, is very akin to. So if Max is not hearing vibrato, there might be some, he might think there's something going wrong going on. So thank God that he gave well, him a little little something for Max to hold on to there.
1: I needed some some vibrato somewhere. So it, it's on this album and and that makes me happy.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I I think this trumpet solo is really really killing. All the cool ideas that you mentioned, um, really cool ideas, grooving, one note theme. I love that so much. And my last note on this one, one thing that I really like is they let the cymbal ring all the way out for like five or six seconds at the end of this tune, and I really like that. They could have just faded it out like in production afterwards, but they like the end of the tune is just five seconds of the cymbal ringing. So I really like how they do that.
1: That's true. It's another clever ending, um just like the other one uh where they had the bass lead the ending. Um they, they again it's it's a just a cool aspect. You can hear all the different ways, all the different textures that they're creating and just the variety of uses on the different instruments and and how you can incorporate them on the intros and the outros. Yeah, and I think one thing
0: we were talking about is how musical they are, and this just goes to show that you can take maybe a composition that has just a few chords and doesn't have a lot to do in the way of changes, and the sections, just an A and a B section, doesn't have to be anything super complex in that way, but make it super musical, and they're just so musical in the way that they choose to finish, you know, to end the songs and the way that they construct the songs. It's super musical. I think, you know, we play the tune Mr. Magic by Grover Washington Jr. And a lot of that is just a two chord vamp. And you can still make that super musical, even though you're just playing two chords. You don't have to play, you know, Giant Steps is musical and Confirmation, all those tunes, rhythm changes. Those are all very musical, but you can be musical with just a few chords. And so I think they they show that super well um, is that you can be musical in in different kinds of of jazz styles.
1: Absolutely, you don't have to always have as many chord changes as humanly possible (laughs) in order for something to be great. Um, I, I love a good two chord vamp. And you know, a lot of times if you're used to playing a lot of chord changes and going in and out of different keys or different sections of tunes, it can be a little challenging for you to approach a two chord vamp or a two chord, you know, just, just song. And, you know, how do you approach that? You do it a little bit differently than you would with all the chord changes in there, because the harmony is outlined for you and you know where to go or you know where you have to go. Whereas on a, <coughs> a two chord song, you have to be inventive and creative and extra, extra musical
0: that I, that is exactly what I wanted to say is that during a song that has a lot of changes, it can be easy to just, that's the outline that you're playing. But on a song that just has two chords, sometimes you need to be more musical over those because you, it's just giving you that. And then you have to come up with all kinds of different ideas to make it interesting. You can't just work your way through the changes, you know? So I, I definitely, I love what you're saying there, Max.
1: Amen, brother.
0: (laughs) Well, let's get into our (laughs) our top threes and our not-so-hot tracks on the album. Max, why don't you go first on this one?
1: Sure. My number one was Street Pharmacy. It was the clear number one for me. I just bobbed my head too much on that one, more so than any other track, for it to not be my number one. And I love that B section melody, and it grooves so hard, and, and I love the different grooves on the two different sections. I mean, that's kind of a go-to for their arrangements on this album. But that really comes out super well, um, and that track is a super fun, and, and I love what the trumpet is doing too. My number two spot is Fiat. Some great stuff in there. I love the groove. And then number three is 918 or 918. And then my Not-So-Hot is the pre-cut interlude number 1. Um I was going to just do the the fourth actual musical song, musical track, uh Camden Square is why not so hot, but I made it a point to have one of the pre-cuts on there because I get a lot more from interlude number 2 where they're talking about, you know, things in the recording studio, the talkback mic, the banter that's going on, the um some of the playing on the bass and the sax that's going on you can just get a a better sense of everything that goes into the recording process and with the camaraderie amongst the musicians themselves from that second interlude and i just didn't get nearly as much from the first interlude it may be question why it was there maybe just have one interlude or why not have an interlude where you're getting those moments in between every track to me that would make a more succinct and A more, I don't know, uh, seemingly logical album where you you have an interlude in between every song. Here they just do two interludes, one at the beginning and one in between two songs. It made me question that first one. I would rather just have the second one or no interlude at all or have more interludes to make it a better, more complete album.
0: Yeah, I think you definitely make a good point there. I definitely like that second interlude more than the first. But for the first time in the Jazz Jam podcast history, we get all three of our top threes are the exact same. I just, hey. I think what Max is doing here is just spot on. Street Pharmacy is by far the the headlining track on this album. Um, Fiat is super grooving and killing, and then nine eighteen just super funky. I I agree with everything you said. Street Pharmacy is an incredible tune. Um, Fiat Super Drive and Super Killing, and then, but we went in a little bit of a different direction for our not so hot. Like you had said, you thought about picking Camden Square um, for yours, and I think this is kind of the perfect definition of when we think of not so hot and why we put a not so hot on there. And the reason that Camden Square is my not so hot is not because I don't like the song Camden Square. It's that this recording of Camden Square, this version of it, in my opinion, is not so hot. It's not as hot as other versions I've heard. So it fits perfectly in that not so hot spot for me because there are other recordings of this tune which are really, really hot. So this is not, this one's not so hot. So that's why it's my not so hot
1: it quite literally was the not so hot track for you and i think you're right you make a great point there are better versions of camden square um but i think this is a good representation of where they wanted to go um because this one is from 2018 so it's a from a few years ago and they just came out with a new album uh a couple of weeks ago and there's been a lot of development since then. So you get a great sense of, of not where they started, because this is their seventh album, Camden Session, but um, just kind of their trajectory and their development. You You can hear that here, especially in that track, Camden Square, and how far they've come in regards to that song and everything else they're doing.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's a good point, and I want to note that they just put out an album recently, like within the past couple of weeks, so I have not listened right. to the entire album, but uh, they also did some live recordings of it, which is on YouTube, Um, so there's there's some new stuff to check out from Butcher Brown, so if you if you listen to this and you like this, there's definitely some more stuff to get into and some very recent stuff to get into, but let's go ahead and get into our overall album thoughts and ratings for this album. So I'll go ahead and, and go first on this one. Butcher's Brown Camden Session is a funk and groove fill live recording that demonstrates the musical abilities and the chemistry within the group, like we mentioned. It's a modern approach to the jazz language that has very evident influences from the the jazz fusion era of the 70s, with some of the newer musical influences demonstrated as well. So you get a lot of that fusion influence, maybe the Herbie Hancock, um, the Crusaders as well. They're a little bit more in the 80s. But And then you get some newer funk ideas and some newer jazz ideas as well, especially with DJ Harrison using the wah pedal on the the clav and things like that. And so, yeah, the groove is just super deep throughout this entire album, and all members are in the pocket at all times. And so Marcus Tenney shows command and mastery of both the trumpet and the sax, but his trumpet playing does stand out a little bit more than his sax on this album, like we mentioned. DJ Harrison provides some really funky and rhythmic keyboard playing, and he utilizes different keyboard sounds, like we mentioned, from the Rhodes to the Clavinet, as well as the uses of pedals, which is really cool in a more modern technique. But it definitely, those things that he's doing, it allows him to emphasize those rhythmics. He's a very rhythmic player. This is a very rhythmic group, so he's being able to emphasize those, those rhythms a lot more. And so M- Morgan Burr on the guitar, his sound is super soulful, like we said, and he adds a lot to the dynamic very well. And he stands out a lot when it's time for him to take a solo. He's, you, sometimes he you know you don't really notice what he's doing, but then when he takes a solo, he definitely stands out. And I think his Southern soul style is very reminiscent of a band I just mentioned, uh, Larry Carlton from the Crusaders, his jazz guitar style, that kind of soulful, the Crusaders are kind of a more soul Fusion kind of group so he definitely reminds me of, of that style of guitar playing and then Andrew Randazzo and Corey Fonville are just super tight and locked in at all times on the album and their chemistry is just top-notch from these two guys you can tell they're really really locked in together And then Corey is who stands out the the most to me on this album, Um, and he never even needs to really be fully featured to stand out, so that's just really incredible from him. His style is jazz, funk, soul, R&B, hip-hop, and it's all blended into his listening and his communication, which makes him one of the best jazz drummers on the scene today. Um, I feel like there's probably some some Chris Dave influence as well as many other guys. Chris Dave is a great jazz drummer, some hip-hop influence there. And it's obvious that Corey is just super well-studied and he, he's listened to so many great different drummers with how diverse and eclectic his style is. And I could have gone for a little bit more in the way of song variety, the song selection on this album. But And the album is definitely a little raw at points, but that's expected to be, you know, in a session that's called something that's entitled session, which leads you to believe that it's just one session. They're playing through the tracks, one take on every tune. And I think overall, despite that, the kind of lack of variety, it accomplishes what it's set for to do, which is they want to get you moving and they show their chemistry and their capabilities very well. So just very funk and groove oriented and it's kind of raw in that way, but it's it's nice because it just really kind of gets you moving and feeling, feeling everything with them. And so, yeah, like I said, I'm very much looking forward to things to come and, you know, digging into some of their newer stuff a little bit more. And so overall, I give this album a 7.7 out of 10.
1: Well said. Um, Very well said. I would just concur with a lot of what you're saying. I think this session is a groovy mini EP-like recording that certainly will make your head move up and down. The musical pockets that are created are so deep and the groove is just well-sustained all throughout the album. There's a number of neat yet simplified compositional techniques that are used, and each song's groove or feel continually evolves on each track. There's a number of influences, including Weather Report and a little Herbie Hancock, I'm hearing, that seem kind of present throughout the music. And you're right, there's a lot of kind of 70s era um, influence in, in what they're doing. Marcus Tenney's trumpet and sax performances do stand out along with Corey's drums. I think Morgan has a couple of great guitar solos and DJ Harrison pulls from a number of different experimental keyboard sounds that really kind of just showcase the variety of sounds you can get from the keys and the different ways you can complement what's going on around you as a keyboard player. The bass player is consistent and and can constantly showcase his ability to aid the feel that's that's occurring in the song. There is that one pre-cut in-the-moment interlude that works well, the second one, yet the first one does not seem necessary or it's not nearly as interesting as the second. Also, why not add a third or fourth pre-cut track like I mentioned earlier in between the other songs? It just to me makes more sense or you just only have the one interlude. I think Tenny's trumpet sound is, is slightly more full and dynamic than his sax playing. Yet, as we've noted, his sax playing has developed and he's just really incredible how he can play both of those very different instruments so well. There's some of the improvisatory ideas here that kind of seem lost to me or they're kind of unnecessary or they're not um, moving in certain parts as well as others. But there are other improvisations that are really deep in the pocket and groove really, really hard. Um, So just a couple of those very out moments seem a little overdone to me, but they're still executed quite well. It's just not my preference sometimes. The whole album is definitely worth a listen as the groove is what to listen for here, undoubtedly. Listen for the groove and everything that's going on. Butcher Brown is a group worth your attention. There's no doubt about it. My overall score is a 7.6 out of 10. Yeah, and
0: that kind of we're in the same realm there. Um, Very good album. You know, it's not quite a fully fleshed out album and, you know, thought out. It's just a session, which is cool, but it's really good at what it accomplishes. So, our overall, the Jazz Jam score on this one's going to be a 7.7 out of 10 combined score. Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, our next album that we're going to be getting into? We're going back to a classic jazz album for our next one.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about this one. I picked Sunny Side Up from Verve Records. It features Sonny Stitt and Sonny Rollins, two just very important, very um, monumental saxophone players that are deep in the history of this music. Sonny Rollins is still alive today. Um, He's not playing anymore, unfortunately, but on that album, there's just a lot going on. It also has Dizzy Gillespie, and there's there's some great arranging and just great Um, rhythm section treatment you can listen for, you know, we'll talk a lot about language and the fundamentals of, of straight ahead. And just a lot of the interaction that goes on on that album is, is something to learn from. Also, it reminded me, um, of, of Camden session because on sunny side up, they only have four tracks, but two of them are, are pretty long. They're like 10 or 12 minutes. So it, you know, there's not, a a whole slew of tunes to go over but there's a lot in each song it 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 was originally recorded in 1957 released later um, in 59 so I'm just really looking forward to going over sunny side up with you and there's just a lot to talk about with that album
0: yeah and I self-admittedly I've listened to Sonny Rollins but I've not listened to enough Sonny Rollins so I'm excited to really dive deep into his sound, um, as I admittedly have not and listened to him as much as some other saxophone players. So I'm excited to, to get into this album. It's definitely good to get into, um, an era of, you know, kind of a, a straight ahead, more Bob style album. This comes out in the, the mid fifties. So, or is recorded in the mid fifties. So I'm definitely super excited to, to get into this one. So yeah, let's just go ahead and, and wrap it up for the day. I do have some closing thoughts. I want to say thanks for everyone for listening um, we do have a website that you can go and check out. It's linked in the description. There's a lot in the description to check out. We have a website where you can kind of just go and look through every single um, of our reviews. And it's just our thoughts and then our ratings on albums. So if you don't want to listen to an entire episode, we have information there where you can check that out. You can go and look and see, oh, this is what they think about this. Should I listen to this without having to listen to an entire two hour episode and we also have uh, which is linked in the description we're taking our top threes from every single album and we're putting them into a spotify playlist so if you want a jazz playlist this is one that's kind of just ever evolving we're adding new music to it every single week and so there's lots of cool music and our kind of favorites from what we've done in there and finally i want to say um yeah. If you have any questions for us, we, we always want new questions. We want some listener interaction. Um, we've noticed we've got listeners from all over the world, so we love to hear from different people. Please feel free to reach out to us. The jazz jam podcast at gmail.com it will be a great way to, to interact with us, but yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. I really was glad we got into Butcher Brown cause they're one of my favorite, uh, modern groups but so for for max levy i'm dwayne gunnels and i want to thank you for listening to this episode of the jazz jam podcast